So today we begin on this journey into Advent, which is kind of sometimes exciting. It can be a season that has these moments of great pain, grief, but it can also have these moments of amazing joy as we see the light, as the snow falls, as we are surrounded by family and friends. And so as we begin this journey this year, I'm taking us on this journey of looking at how we are part of Jesus' story, how that becomes part of us. And today we're going to focus specifically on determining our limits in hope by looking at this story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, who are John the Baptist's parents. Elizabeth is the cousin to Mary. And in the book of Luke, this story comes right before the birth narrative of Jesus. And so as we look at this story, it kind of gives us a sense of what child is this? What child is this that Jesus is that's so important that it begins to impact others before he is even born? And we're going to pair that with the carol of what child is this. And it's one of those carols that have has been sung for well over a hundred years. And the man who wrote that song, William Chatterton Dix, he was a prolific hymnist, carol writer. He loved to write for the church. And it's it's kind of interesting because a tune is even named after him, D-I-X, Dix, and is sung with numerous hymns. And yet... That simple hymn, this simple carol that we're going to look at, actually pairs very well with the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, even though it talks about Jesus. So as we begin today, as we begin to look at how, why does this even matter? How is this part of our story? How is this part of, you know what, we're rushing around, we got a lot to do. There's so many emotions around this season. How does this story in Carol begin to impact us and help us understand the connection to the Christ child? Beginning in Luke 1, verses 5 through 12. During the rule of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was a descendant of Aaron. They were both righteous before God, blameless in their observance of all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to become pregnant and they were both very old. One day Zechariah was serving as a priest before God because his priestly division was on duty. Following the custom of priestly service, he was chosen by lottery to go into the Lord's sanctuary and burn incense. All the people who gathered to worship were praying outside during this hour of incense offering. An angel from the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled and overcome with fear. 
All right, so we get this set up. We get how Zechariah is part of the priestly class, that Elizabeth is a direct descendant of Aaron, which was the first priest of the Levites, the Levites being the priestly class, and that we get this sense that they have tried to live well. They have tried to live according to God's ways. They have tried to follow the laws. They've tried to do what was right for themselves and for others for God. And so here they are, they are living their life. He is in his priestly duties, which he would have to go to the temple twice a year to be part of. And we learn, we learn something really important that Elizabeth is unable to have a child. And anytime we see that throughout the text of the Bible, we actually need to understand that this is a literary device that is saying, hey, wait up, point, whoa, we need to pay attention to who this child is. Because anytime this child is an important part of the story, there's something different about the birth. Generally, what seems impossible becomes possible. And so for Elizabeth, it is thought for her and Zechariah to have a child, it is impossible. And yet, something possible is going to happen, going to become their reality. And yet, it begins with, when Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled and overcome with fear. That sense, right? That there are times where we are filled with fear because we have fear of the unknown. We're not quite sure what's going to happen. We have fear because there is pain, there is suffering. We have fear because something really has startled us. And sometimes that fear, a lot of times the fear that we have goes unrealized. In fact, sometimes the fear that we have actually gets some, turned into something amazing. The impossible becomes possible. That it actually breaks down some limits of what we thought could happen, right? Because we're contained in fear sometimes and we can't see anything else. And so here, Zechariah has a very human moment, right? That moment of being startled and fearful. He doesn't know what in the world is happening. And we can get that. Maybe we even have fear during the season, right? The pandemic's still going on. Maybe we still have fears around jobs. Maybe we still have fears around family. Maybe we still have fears around health. That fear can be very much a part of our story. And yet, that's not where it stops. That's not where the story ends. It, it begins to take us beyond that. And we see that. We see that with not only with Zechariah, but we also see it in the hymn, in that Christmas carol of what child is this? Why lies he in such mean a state where ox and ass are feeding? Why? Why is Jesus in this lowly estate? Why? Zechariah in fear. Why do we have fear? Why do we find ourselves in such a position? Why? And so here we begin to move forward with verses 13 through 18. The angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will give birth to your son and, your, and you must name him John. He will be a joy and delight to you and many people will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the Lord's eyes. He must not drink wine and liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. 
He will bring many Israelites back to the Lord their God. He will go forth before the Lord, equipped with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children, and he will turn the disobedient to righteous patterns of thinking. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how, how can I be sure of this? My wife and I are very old. So not only he's got this fear going on, and the angel's like, hey, don't be afraid, which, you know, sometimes, right, people can say, hey, don't be afraid, and we're like, yeah, that's easy for you to say. You stand in my shoes, right? But what the angel says to him, right, of why don't you, don't be afraid. Your prayers have been heard. Hey, God has actually heard you. God is paying attention. God's presence is with you. Don't be afraid. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give birth to your son, and you will name him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many people will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the Lord's eyes. So in this moment, it's like the angel, this messenger from God, is like blowing past and saying, hold up, you think you got some limits in this world, and that those limits, there are fears with those limits, but here the angel is like, nope, we are pushing beyond. God's presence is with you, and something amazing is going to happen. Something unexpected, but there is going to be joy. And Zechariah, you got to love this. How can I be sure of this? My wife and I are very old. Hold, hold up. Like there are some real limits in this world. Like there are some real practical limits. I'm a little skeptical of what God can do with the limits that we all place upon ourselves in this world. Like it's, are you sure? Are you really sure? that this is possible, that something can happen. It's kind of like the carol of what child this. Like, so Jesus is in this lowly state. Like, he is born in a manger. He is born with the, ac the ox and the ass. And he is born in a state. He is not born in a palace. He is not born like a god. He is not born in comfort. He's born in a different state of being. He is born in the lowly, with so many limits placed, so what you talk about seems impossible. The limits that we have placed upon ourselves, that others have placed upon us, that we kind of contend with constantly, the limits that we place upon God in our lives, of how God can be at work in our lives. Right here we see that tension, whether in scripture or in the carol, of beginning within that lowly state. And to think about that, to be challenged by how we understand those limits, where we begin to see them, where they begin to inflict a little bit of fear and pain of the unknown, where they begin to, we kind of hit up against them and we're like, ooh, I don't want any part of that, or even the limits that we place upon others and upon God. Luke 1, verses 19 through 23. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in God's presence. I was sent to speak to you and to bring this good news to you. Know this, what I have spoken will come true at the proper time. But because you didn't believe, you will remain silent, unable to speak until the day when these things happen. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they wondered why he was in the sanctuary for such a long time. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them. 
They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he gestured to them and couldn't speak. When he completed the days of his priestly service, he returned home. The author of What Child Is This, William Chatterton Dix, he loved literature. He loved the spoken word. He loved a turn of phrase. He loved the beauty that could be found as you string words together and all the meanings that could be created. And we might make the assumption that William was a writer that got paid to write. Maybe we thought he was a patron. Maybe he hung out at Oxford or Cambridge or someplace like that. But William, William was an insurance guy. He was the everyday, your friendly neighborhood insurance, right? It's kind of like watching the State Farm commercials. Like he's the guy picking up the phone. Yeah, how may I help you today? Oh, man, you wrecked your carriage. Oh, let me help you out with that. He was an insurance guy in Glasgow, Scotland. And we might think, if that's all we knew about him, we might think, well, that's impossible that he could be such a prolific writer for the church. That he could be creating such beauty. Or maybe those of us who know him through his hymns think, well, that's impossible. He was an insurance guy? Like, what? It's because of the limits, right? The limits we begin to place on ourselves. And here in the scripture, a limit is actually placed upon Zechariah by the messenger, by this angel. And we might think, oh, well, that's because of a punishment. Because it says, but because you didn't believe, you will remain silent, unable to speak until the day when these things happen. But think about this limit. That this limit that gets placed upon Zechariah actually gives him the space to listen. It begins to give him the space to listen and to notice where God is present around him. A limit that helps him begin to understand what's happening to ponder those words of the child you are going to have is going to bring great joy to others. That there are sometimes limits that get placed upon us that maybe we see them as a problem, as an impediment to our living, as kind of a barrier. But is that limit actually giving us space for something else, giving us direction in new ways, helping us to listen or to learn or to gain a deeper understanding of how God is at work in the world, how God is at work in our lives, moving us, shifting us in ways that we could have never imagined, helping William Dix to write in ways that were many may thought had been impossible. And so here we get this tension of limits that we have that are very real in our lives, but still, how do our limits give us space to understand, to look toward, to live into how God is at work calling to us in our lives to be part of this story, to be part of the Zachariah Elizabeth of Jesus story. Continuing on in chapter 1, 24 through 25, and then 57 through 60. Afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. She kept to herself for five months, saying, This is the Lord's doing. 
He has shown his favor to me by removing my disgrace among the people. When the time came for Elizabeth to have her child, she gave birth to a boy. Her neighbors and relatives celebrated with her because they had heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. On the eighth day, it came time to circumcise the child. They wanted to name him Zechariah because that was his father's name. But his mother replied, no, his name will be John. So not only do we have Zechariah experiencing a limit, a very practical limit, but yet other limits being taken off of what is possible when God's presence is in, is guiding, is helping us in life, is directing us. And then we get this from Elizabeth. And this one is really important because all of us at some point in our lives, or maybe we even have been known to do this to others, at some point, we feel like somebody is placing limits upon us, whether they are good, whether they are intentional, whether they are, you know, accurate, right? And here, people have placed limits upon Elizabeth, right? Afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. She kept to herself for five months saying, this is the Lord's doing. He has shown his favor to be by removing my disgrace among other people, by removing the limits that other people have placed on how God can be at work in my life, that God has said, hey, no, you don't have to live into that anymore, Elizabeth. The limits have been lifted. The limits of others because they they aren't good. They aren't healthy. They are not helping you to thrive. They are not helping you to see the possibility. And so this tension continues of when limits need to be lifted, of we need to say no more, you will not place this limit upon me because God is at work in my life. God is at work in all of us. That possibility of joy, that possibility that takes us further, when thinking about this hymn of the limits of that lowly birth, but that's not where the hymn stops. That's not where the carol stops, even though a lot of the versions of what child is this actually have removed the second verse. Uh, in the hymnal that we have in our church, the Presbyterian hymnal has actually made sure that the second verse is in there because the second verse is really difficult. Good Christian fear for sinners here. The silent word is pleading. Nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. A painful verse, an acknowledgement of the pain that Jesus goes through, the acknowledgement of the pain of this world, the limits that people place that have real consequences. But that's not where the carol ends. For it goes on, So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh, come one and all to own him. Come one, come all, this beauty, this incense, this gold, this myrrh, that we are moving beyond because that is not all that Jesus is. It was not all about death, that there is far more to this life, this death, this resurrection of Jesus that moves us beyond people placing limits on us that are destructive, just like Elizabeth, and throwing them off and saying no more of we've got a different way forward. And so even the carol moves us into new realms. And this line, which is so important, and we're going to look at it again, so I want you to hear this. 
Come one and all to own him. Hold that in mind as I read the next verses of 61 through 66. They said to her, none of your relatives had that name. Then after began gesturing to his father to see what he wanted to call him, after asking for a tablet, he surprised everyone by writing, his name is John. At that moment, Zechariah was able to speak again. And he began praising God. All their neighbors were filled with awe, and everyone throughout the Judean highlands talked about what had happened. All who heard about this considered it carefully. They said, what then will this child be? Indeed, the Lord's power was with him. This sense of one and all to own him. How will this be taken up into our own story? How do we own the story of Jesus in such a way that it begins to transform us? And we see that with Elizabeth and Zechariah because Elizabeth is holding firm. She's like, no, this limit you keep trying to place upon me, this limit that says we have to name him so-and-so, no, I hold firm to how God is at work in our lives, to how God is moving us in new directions, the possibility that is coming with this child. And Zechariah reiterates. He reiterates by writing it down, and all of a sudden he can speak. The tool that he had relied upon to convey so many things is now restored to him but only after he finally lifted the limits on himself, on the possibility. And now he can communicate with others in ways that they are filled with awe. All their neighbors were filled with awe, and everyone throughout the Judean highlands talked about what had happened. All who heard about this considered it carefully. Now the, the impact of Elizabeth and Zechariah on this entire narrative of Jesus that is going back to these cousins, this narrative now is producing awe and inspiring others to go, wait a minute, what do I need to be paying attention to? What limits have I placed on God? What limits have I placed on life? What have I said, you know what, too old, can't do it? Because this story is inviting us in to say what limits have we placed upon ourselves that really are detrimental to listening, to experiencing God and new possibilities? What limits have we allowed to dictate our lives in such a way it shoves God out and says impossible? Because even Zechariah had placed the limit, hey, we're too old to do that. And God's like, Whoop, no, not with me. Anything is possible when we're living into a life of love, when we're living into a life of joy, when we're saying, wait a minute, I'm going to follow God in new ways, in ways maybe that are unexpected, in ways that give others life, that we ourselves aren't just inspired, but the way we live begins to inspire others. So part of understanding Jesus' story as being our own, to own him, is to understand the possibility of understanding our limits in hope, of understanding our limits in God look very different in our lives. You know, there's a phrase that we often hear 
especially when we've known someone who's had a lot of tragedy in their life, and we make a statement like, you know, it's amazing that they aren't angry and bitter. And you know what? That's because they've made a choice. They've made a choice that that tragedy in their life is not going to put a limit on them of living into joy, of being able to love others, of being able to experience peace. And so for ourselves, how are we limiting ourselves? How are we limiting God as we live every day? How do we limit Jesus being part of our story? Amen. Thank you.